Welcome to Kevin Connors Podcast. In this series, Kevin presents a summary of his best-selling book, The Foundations of Christian Doctrine. Visit kevinconnor.org for details about where to purchase this popular textbook. All right, let's turn to uh, our final session for tonight, Foundation Christian Doctrine. And I do hope that uh, over the eight sessions in our crash course, that it's uh, been helpful. There's a number of uh, done this a few times. My wife, I won't ask her how many times she's done it. <laughs> okay. I think uh, my wife's going to get a special reward for every, every time she hears me on this. All right, so in our final session now, uh, some questions were asked a few weeks back, and I said we'll deal with it that tonight. Eternal states on heaven and hell. All right, so I don't think I need to spend much on re- introduction and review. Uh, we've covered a lot here. All right, let's go to letter A, and I want to make a few comments on time and eternity. Let's turn over to Psalm 90. <clears throat> Psalm 90. And as you're turning to Psalm 90, let me read uh, uh, the paragraph I've got there. The scriptures reveal that God is eternal, not limited by or to time, but he works in time, especially in relation to mankind relative to creation and redemption. Man is a creature of time, but he will exist eternally somewhere, either in heaven or hell. Time, number one, is the probation of mankind, and two, eternity, the judgment and the rewarding of mankind. I'd like you to turn to Psalm 90 now. And uh, whenever I study a word, one of my fixations is I always like to look for key word or key words uh, in the psalm. And you'll find in this psalm that uh, this psalm has uh, two key words here, and you might like to put them down on your notes here. And these two words are days or years. Days or years. I want to give you the... uh, Four verses or so, six verses, where days or years or days and years are mentioned. Now, you notice at the top of your, your psalm there, the, uh, um, the inscription, uh, it's a prayer of who? Moses. That's very important. Remember, Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, or the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. So this is a psalm. In fact, uh, some of the expositors say that Psalm 90 and Psalm 91 were both written by Moses, but at least we have the uh, superinscription here. Prayer of Moses, the man of God. Now notice in verse 1 and 2, it sort of harkens a little bit back to uh, uh, Genesis 1 and 2. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Then we go down to verse 4. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, and like a watch in the night. So a thousand years, your sight, yesterday... And uh, you might like to put down 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Because Peter goes back to this psalm and he says in writing to a spirit-filled believers, he said, uh, I don't want you to be ignorant of this one thing, that one day unto the Lord is as a thousand years. A thousand years is one day. Now, one day unto us is 24 hours. But a day unto the Lord is a thousand years, as a thousand years. A thousand years is one day. All right, so verse 4, God's time. For a thousand years in your sight 
uh, but is yesterday when he's passed and is a watch in the night. Then go down to verse 9, <coughs> which I don't, uh, don't like, verse 9 or 10 particularly. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told, days and years, days and years. And then verse 10 is not very nice for my age. The days of our years are threescore years and ten, which is 70. seventy. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, and I'm eighty-two, <laughs> yet is their strength, labour and sorrow, for it's soon cut off and we fly away. Isn't that a nasty verse? <laughs> anyway, it's there. Thank you, Moses. Thanks a lot. Hey, uh, let me just indulge one quick minute. Um, God said to Adam, now God's talking, in the day you sin, you'll surely die. Did Adam die in the day he sinned? Henry would say yes. Henry would say no. Henry would say yes and no. Those who say yes and no, the, the answer is yes and no. Uh, Adam, I want you to think of this, if, if, okay, because it's a bit difference of opinion, but if a day under the law is a thousand years, a thousand years is one day, uh, and God said, Adam, in the day you sin, you'll surely die. How long did Adam live? 930 years. Yeah, don't rob him between. Yeah, 930 years. And uh, if a day, so he died within the day. He died spiritually in the day he sinned, but he died physically within the day he sinned. A day under the Lord. Now, if you take off 930 off 1,000, how many years does that leave? That's all we're promised. I'm going to talk to Adam about that. <laughs> you took 930 and left me a miserable 70. I've made it to 82. Anyway, something, don't throw it about uh, away. There's more than that that meets the ear. Okay, um, all right, go down to verse four or 12. So teach us to number our days, I've circled it, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And then verse... Um, 14, oh, satisfy us early with your mercies that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. And then the last uh, mention, verse 15, make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, the years in which we have seen evil. All right, I'd like to put it this way, that um, if we say timelessness, uh, eternity, from everlasting to e everlasting, you are God. So let's put it this way, eternity to eternity. God is eternal. He's not bound by time. He is eternal. He is the I am. So eternity to eternity. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now, what is time? Okay, let's put it up here. Connor's definition. Time is a fragment of eternity or a portion of eternity in which God is working out his purposes in relation, and this is on your notes here, in relation to creation, number one, and also number two, in relation to redemption. So let me say that again. Time is a fragment or a portion of eternity. God is timeless. He's not limited by time or to time, though he works in time. So when we go back to what we call the week of creation, God worked one, two, three, four, five, six days. One, two, three, four, five, six. And he rested the seventh day. Now, think of this, because we've been looking at determinant. 
When Adam and Eve sinned, as I said, if they hadn't have sinned, they could have lived happily ever after. But you see, sin broke their rest. You know, Adam and Eve were created on the sixth day, honeymoon. They actually began their honeymoon like on the seventh day. Rest. So sin broke their rest, but it not only broke their rest, because sin breaks rest. When Jesus said, come unto me and I'll give you rest, have to deal with sin first. God had, it broke God's rest. So God had to work again and start work again. So Jesus said, my father works and I work. We are now in the dispensation of the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit's at work. I'm looking forward to what we're going to be talking about in a moment. A thousand years when Satan the serpent is bound in the BP. Oh, some of you got that. Some of you haven't got a clue. The bottomless pit. How many think when Satan's in the bottomless pit for a thousand years, that will be rest? But that's the climax of redemption. So God is not bound by time. He's not limited by time. He works in time in relation to twofold purpose, creation and redemption. He works six days in creation, seventh day rest. Sin broke man's rest, sin broke God's rest. And so we have the week of redemption. (coughs) 2,000 years dispensation of the Father, 2,000 years dispensation of the Son, 2,000 years dispensation of the Holy Spirit. We don't know when time began, of course. Seventh day, 1,000 years rest. We'll be looking at that in a moment. Okay. Notice on your notes here, so man is a creature of time, but he will exist eternally somewhere, either in heaven or hell. I'd like you to go over to uh, Revelation chapter 2 and uh, 21. And uh, Old King James uses uh, uh, a particular word here, and then uh, New King James uh, changes it a bit, as does NIV and so forth. Doesn't change the truth of it, just changes the word. Revelation 2.21, and uh, talking to uh, the church at uh, Thyatira there, he says uh, concerning old Jezebel, Jezzy, and I gave her space to repent. Of a fornication, repented not. New King James uh, uh, does the correct uh, Greek rendering of it, and I gave her time to repent. Now, let me put it this way: as far as we're concerned, all of us, we enter life by a door, and we leave by, de- uh, by a door. So the entrance for all of us is uh, by the door of birth. Then we go to the exit door, which is by death. Now between these two doors, birth and death, or entrance and exit, all of us are given a certain amount of time. None of us know how long it is. I didn't know I was going to be given this much time. And I like to use the word, God gives every one of us space. Funny how we use that word. Oh, just give me space, you know, or if you want it. So between these two doors, entrance of birth, exit by death, we're all given space, we're all given time. Now the issue is, what are we going to do? Here, 
using this illustration, I gave her space. I gave her time to repent. Well, it's in that time, because once we cross into the exit door, there's no chance after death. So, okay. Now, let's go to letter B quickly. Letter B, the resurrections, the judgments, and the reward. All right, now, you'll find that the, as I've got on my notes here and your notes, the doctrines of resurrection and judgment are inseparable. The purpose of resurrection is judgment. Purpose of judgment is reward, either for good or evil. Let's go over to um, Hebrews 9.27. And as I often have encouraged you, I hope uh, you read the scriptures that we don't have time to do here. Okay, so uh, Hebrews 9.27. And it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So... Death, judgment. And then let's go over to uh, Hebrews chapter 6, while you're in Hebrews. And the first principles of the doctrine of Christ, Hebrews 6 verse 1. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again, number one, the foundation of repentance from dead works, Number two, faith towards God. Number three, doctrine of baptism. Number four, laying of hands. Number five, a resurrection of the dead. And number six, and of eternal judgment. So resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. All right, now let's go over to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. And uh, we, we won't read the whole chapter just because of time here, but uh, why don't you pick up something here? So Revelation 20 and verse 1 we'll pick up. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. You'll notice here now the expression thousand years is used six times. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more. Now remember, remember the contrasted pictures we have. In the Garden of Eden, we have Adam and Eve, the first bride and bridegroom, and a beautiful paradise, but there's a serpent in the garden. And he deceived Eve, brought about the fall of man. Here we come to the end of the picture where redemption's plan is complete. And uh, Satan, the serpent, is bound into the bottomless pit, uh, no longer able to deceive the nations. And, I mean, if ever there's deception on today. Really. So he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. After that, he, uh, these things, he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them. Judgment was committed unto them. So we have implied resurrection. And then judgment. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshipped the beast or his image and not received his mark in their forehead or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ. They lived, resurrection, reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Now notice this, but the rest of the dead did not live again until a thousand years were fulfilled. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy... He is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him for a thousand years. And then the next verse is Satan is loosed 
at the end of a thousand years. All right, so the picture we have is shadowed forth here. God works six days in creation, seventh day rest. The serpent came in and beguiled the first bride and bridegroom, and God had to start work. So here we, God's working in the week of redemption, 6,000 years, whatever time is, we don't know. But seventh day is going to be a day of rest when Satan is cast in the bottomless pit. That's the picture that we have. Now, go to your diagram a minute here. So we have a simple diagram here. There are two resurrections, uh, 1,000 years apart. Now, there's a uh, difference of opinion on this, but this is how I see it. Okay, take it for what it's worth. So first resurrection, the beginning of 1,000 years. Second resurrection, uh, the end of the 1,000 years. We have a 1,000 years rest when Satan is bound. Now, in the first resurrection, blessed and holy is he who has part in the resurrection. In other words, it's just for the righteous. And uh, the second resurrection, a thousand years later, is for the unrighteous. Now, in both cases, I'll put uh, just some sample scriptures there. You'll find that there are rewards. Let's turn over to, um, oh, let's see, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We just can't go through all those scriptures. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And uh, let's go to verse uh, 10 and 11. So for, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 and 11. And he says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I also trust well known to your consciences. And then uh, in the scriptures at the other end, uh, Acts 17, let's go just to one scripture there, Acts 17. Acts 17, verse 31. Uh, we'll read verse 30 leading to it. And the times of this, is, this ignorance God winked at, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he has given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, We'll hear you again on this matter. All right. So resurrection and judgment. So the purpose of resurrection is judgment. Now let me just uh, qualify something here. In, first, uh, in, in the first resurrection, as I understand it, all the righteous from Adam way down to the last saint who's martyred in the great tribulation period, they'll all be resurrected. And there are two areas of judgment. The first resurrection is for the righteous at the Bema seat, B-E-M-A, or the judgment seat of Christ. And it's not to do with your salvation. Uh, in fact, let, let's turn, I'd better turn to this one. I'm trying to cover too much here. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's turn to that. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And uh, let's pick up a few verses here. And maybe uh, illustrate a little bit. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And uh, pick up in verse 9, the last part. You are God's building, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder. I have laid the foundation, another builds thereon. But let every man take heed how he builds thereon. For other foundation 
can, uh, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, or straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort is. If anyone's work which is built on it and Jews, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so is by fire. All right, let's hold it there and let me try and illustrate. When we all stand, include myself, uh, Jesus came back tonight or anything like that, then we'd all stand at the beamer seat of the judgment seat of Christ. Now, the issue is not to do with our salvation. That's already settled. Can you say amen on that? The issue has to do with our works. All right, now, best way to illustrate this is just say I'm standing before the Lord, and the Lord dealt with me pretty much on this many, many, many years ago, and I've tried to stick within that framework. It's like I'm, I'm standing before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ, not the great white throne judgment. Let me say that. The great white throne judgment is at the end of the thousand years. It's for the unrighteous, the ungodly, the unsaved. The great white throne judgment. The judgment seat of Christ, the beamer seat, was like where the Olympics were run and crowns were given out for those who won the race and so forth. So here I am standing before the Lord and the Lord says to me, okay, Kevin, John Connor, what did you do on the late planet Earth? And I say, well, Lord, have a look over there. I've got... Uh, Tons and tons of wood, nicely and neatly stacked. And I'd have got all these haystacks. I used to work on a farm once and stack hay, the old traditional way. And I've got all these acres and acres of straw, stubble. And the Lord says to one of his angels, okay, get a match and strike a match on the, on the holy fire. And boom, all my wood, all my ashes, everything goes up in holy smoke. And all I've got is a heap of that. And the Lord says, what else did you do? Well, Lord, I wrote 60 books. Didn't you read any of them? <laughs> I took, I took uh, advanced track. And I used to preach at conferences, a lot of nations. Weren't you there? You see, the issue is not to do with my salvation. But when it goes through the fire and it's reduced to ashes. And the Lord says, wow. Have you ever thought of the scripture that God's going to wipe tears from our eyes? Because of some of the BTOs, how many know what a BTO? Big time operators. Uh, some of the television, television evangelists, some of the BTO, the big time operators. When it's all said and done, it'll be reduced to ashes. They won't lose their salvation, they lose their reward. They're saved, sowed by fire. And you think, oh Lord, I just wasted my time trying to impress people, trying to be a big shot, little shot away from home, wipes the tears from our eyes. But then the Lord turns to Mrs. Connor and says, Mrs. Connor, what did you do? Oh, I was married to Kevin Connor. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, in those days, I didn't believe in women's ministry much. So all I've got is a, a bit of gold and a bit of silver and two or three precious stones. And the Lord says, okay, let's put it through the fire. What happens to it? All the fire does, it purifies it. But she gets the reward while the Lord wipes tears from my eyes. Now, it has a touch of humor, but there's a lot of truth in it. So everything I do, you know, we haven't got time to milk, you know, gold, silver, precious stones, goes through the fire. Is it according to the word of God? Is it motivated by the love of God? Is it moved by the spirit of God? 
or is it just going to be reduced to the ashes? Now, it's not an issue of salvation. He shall be saved, so is by fire. We could spend the rest of our night on that. Go through 1 Corinthians 15. I'll put the scriptures there, so rewards. At the end, we'll come to that, the thousand years, great wide throne judgment when the wicked dead are resurrected and they are judged according to their works and are rewarded accordingly. All right, now I've got to move on. I want you to go to letter C here. And I've mentioned this before, but now's the time to do it. We find that in the Bible there are actually three hells. And uh, I think we have a PowerPoint up on there. Oh, it's, it's on your notes there. Okay, let, let me do this. And the only, only way I could uh, uh, do this... Oh, don't tell my wife. Okay, uh, only way I could do this, and the diagram's on your, on, your, on your notes there. Here, just imagine, this is the underworld. Let's see if I can do this here. And I want you to fill in some words here. So, the underworld. And uh, when we die, the body goes to the grave. So, that's up there, the body goes to the grave. Earth is for the body, but I want you to look, uh, look at me and then, and then I'll just have to verbalize some of this. There are three different Greek words, uh, one's a sort of translation of a Hebrew word, and these, in the underworld, the spirit world, just imagine this is a spirit world, we have three departments of hell, and we'll put it this way, I'll give you some scriptures in a moment, I'll put them there. In the Old Testament... Everybody who died went to Sheol. That's the Hebrew word, Sheol, which is simply the place for departed spirits, the underworld. Uh, how many remember the story? I just can't get into this too much. But how, how many remember when uh, Saul went after the witch of Endor, Endor and then he disguised himself so she didn't know who Saul was and he said, I want you to bring me up who I named to you. And the word up is used about five times. And uh, she expected her familiar spirit to come up. But instead, he, she said, I see an old man coming up. And he's got a mantle on him. And just to be very Australian here, it scared the hell out of her. She screamed because she was expecting a familiar spirit. But God stepped in in judgment and brought up Samuel. Not down. I'll qualify this in a moment, hopefully. Up. And Samuel pronounced death on Saul because Samuel was Saul's prophet. And he said, you didn't, li you didn't listen to me as your prophet? You didn't give him, uh, listen to God-given dreams? And tomorrow you and your sons are going to be with me. So all I can say on this for the present is say, all Old Testament people went to Sheol. The equivalent is Hades in the New Testament, translated wrongly, Hal. And uh, in the Old Testament, it seems that Sheol was divided into two sections, one for the goodies, one for the baddies. When David, uh, his son, died, he said, I will go to him, but he will not come to me. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were gathered to their fathers. So... The baddies went to Sheol, 
and the old, uh, in the Old Testament, and the goodies went to Sheol. When Jesus died on the cross, uh, you know, we haven't had a chance to do events of the three days and three nights, he descended into hell, Sheol, and he took the righteous spirit, so just imagine over here, these are the righteous. He took all the righteous spirits into heaven with him. When he ascended up on high, he led captive, uh, captivity captive. And Hebrews 12 tells us that we had come unto heavenly Jerusalem, heavenly Zion, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. So before the cross, this is how I understand, I haven't got time to explain a lot, but uh, before the cross, all people went to Sheol either to the good section or the bad section. Since the cross, all the goodies go straight to be in the presence of the Lord. How do I say that? Because Jesus said to the dying repentant thief, when he said, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, I mean, I think that was a revelation. Looking at a crucified man with striped back and spit and everything like that, and he calls him Lord, and he said, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. And Jesus said, this day, today, you'll be with me in paradise. Paradise, I'll say it now and come back to it later, is the third heaven. So since the cross, Paul says, to depart and be with Christ is far better. And then the souls under the altar in Revelation chapter 6, they're in heaven at a particular article of furniture, the altar of brass, where the supreme sacrifice was made. All right, so we have prison for the, right, uh, for the righteous, prison for the wicked. Before the cross, all went to Sheol. Since the cross, the goodies go straight into the presence of the Lord. Then this part here, this is referred to, uh, let's, let's uh, turn to Revelation chapter 9. Revelation chapter 9. How many think you're getting something out of this? <laughs> okay. Revelation 9 and verse 1. Revelation 9 verse 1. Then the fifth angel sounded and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of great furnace. So now in chapter 9, the bottomless pit is opened and all hell is let loose. Chapter 20, the bottomless pit, Satan is cast into and it's closed. So you can put here, and another, another term for the bottomless pit here is the abyss. The abyss or the, I'll just put BP. Okay, for demons, demon spirit. And you had righteous human spirit, uh, wicked human spirits here, righteous human spirits here, and then you have demon spirits here, demonic. Then when you come down here, you'll find, I want you to turn over to Second Peter, Second Peter, Second Peter. And uh, uh, this is, is spelled out on your notes there. Second Peter, and what scripture do I want? Uh, chapter two, verse four. That's it. Thank you. Okay. Second Peter, chapter two, verse four. And it says, "For if God did not spare the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell," and the word hell there is Tartarus. T. A R T 
T-A-R-U-S, Tartarus. Translated hell. And this is for fallen angels. Now, let, 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 let's look at it this way. We have our jails and prisons for dis- different criminals. So those who are murderers or pedophiles, they're put in a particular jail. And, and so in the spirit realm, in the spirit world, God has different jails. They, the righteous were in their jail, but they prophesied that when he comes, he's going to rescue them out of Sheol, so forth. The wicked are still there, and the wicked still go there. This is for demon spirits. This jail here is for angels who sinned, and we looked at that uh, two or three weeks back, on the sinning angels. They are cast down to hell. What for? They're waiting for what? They're waiting for judgment. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to Tartarus, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved under judgment... So these angels are waiting for the great white throne judgment where everybody will be brought out of this. We're told later on, uh, uh, death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. Then the final hell, and this is on your notes, is Gehenna, which is spoken of as the lake of fire. Nobody is in Gehenna yet. This is the final hell because we're told death for the body and Hades, Sheol, for the, uh, for the spirit, the soul, were cast into Gehenna. That's after the great white throne judgment. So let me uh, read on a little bit here. All right, so eternal states. Hell, the dwelling place of the redeemed. Hell is the place or state of final punishment of the wicked, of all who die in their sins, an unregenerate state. Uh, as well, that should be as well as the final abode of all sinful angels who followed Satan in his rebellion against God. Hell is an actual place. Jesus spoke of it as an actual place. And this is interesting. Hell was not prepared for mankind. Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. But we live in eternity with the one we serve in time. If people serve the devil in time and serve sin in time, they're going to live with the one they serve. So we live in eternity with the one we serve in time. I want to serve Jesus. Amen. So it was not prepared for the devil and his angels. We have three divisions of hell. Number one, Sheol or Hades, place of departed spirits, the unseen state, a prison for unredeemed human spirits. Make a note of that. Check those scriptures. Tartarus, prison of fallen angels, Jude 6 and 2 Peter, angels with sin reserved in chains for judgment. Number three, the abyss or bottomless pit, prison of demon spirits. And then four, the eternal hell, Gehenna, which is the lake of fire. And hell, and we don't like to talk about these things, but it's a fact. D, place of fire and brimstone, place of eternal torment. Let's just turn to one of the scriptures, Revelation 14. And in, in my mind of every scripture I've read in the total Bible, this passage is the worst description of hell that I could find. So Revelation 14 and verse 10 and 11. Terrible, terrible, hideous language. 
It says, uh, if anyone receives the mark of the beast in his forehead or his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God. See, it's either the love of God or the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He will be tormented with fire and brimstone. And listen to this hideous language. In the presence of the holy angels and the presence of the Lamb. Explain that to me. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image who receives the mark of his name. I, I can't understand that, but if, if, if I even understand language, here is a person in hell, and he sees the Lamb he's rejected, and the holy angels and his guardian angels that try to edge him into, and he sees, that, that, that's hell. Don't, don't describe it anymore. That's hell. Place of fire and brimstone, place of eternal torment, place of everlasting shame and contempt, place for all whose names are not written in the book of life, place of weeping and gnashing, place where the fire is never quenched, place outside the city of God, New, New Jerusalem. This will be hell to be outside of Christ and eternally jailed away from God from the Lamb, the redeemed of all ages and the holy angels. It will be hell to be locked up with Satan, fallen angels, demon spirits, and the unredeemed wicked of mankind. You know, when people joke about hell and say, oh, I'll have lots of company. Oh, I say, you, you, you won't. Just those of you who have seen visions and heard visions, I, I, it's frightening to my wife and I how many people are getting visions of heaven and hell these days. Anybody's listening to these things? And they're hideous descriptions. People say, oh well, <coughs> fire's only, <coughs> pardon me. <coughs> fire, fire, fire. <coughs> pardon me. <coughs> fire's only a symbol. I say, well, if it's a symbol... The reality is always, uh, do you think I'd be able to talk at the same time? Thank you, in the name of Jesus. <clears throat> if, if the fire is a symbol, how many know the reality is always greater than the symbol? So if the fire is only a symbol, a symbol of what? Describe the reality to me. So I never like to hear preachers joking about hell or people saying, I'll have company. Now... Let me just turn to a couple of things here, and we're coming in for a landing here. Um, one of the things that's ha helped me is, is this. Uh, I want you to turn over to, um, you've got the scripture there, Matthew 10. Let's turn to Matthew 10. Matthew 10. Matthew 10, 20, uh, let me read Matthew 10, 28, and then one other verse, and then I'll comment quickly. Time's just about gone. Listen to what Jesus says here. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in Gehenna. Hell, now think of that. Then turn over to Mark chapter 9. 
Mark chapter 9. And I hope this explains something to you. Mark chapter 9. And we'll pick, uh, pick up in uh, verse 45. Mark 9:45. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life lame rather than having two feet to be cast into Gehenna, into the fire that will never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into Gehenna fire, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. All right, let's hold it there now. I don't know how many may have seen uh, John Bunyan's uh, Visions of Heaven and Hell. Anybody seen that? How many have heard of John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress? Years ago, it fell into my hands, and uh, it put the fear of God in me. And I would say, what I read of John Bunyan in his descriptive visionary language scared the living, it scared the hell out of me. And I mean that in a real way, because I'm having heaven on the way to heaven. Let me describe some of the things. Because Jesus said, don't fear him who's able to destroy the body. That's the devil or man. But fear him who's able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Now, listen to a couple of his visions real quick. In his vision, I'll try and condense it. He sees this minister with his congregation. And the music is playing and it's total discord. And uh, as the minister gets up to his congregation, his congregation rose up and screamed at him and said, we paid you to tell us the truth. You told us there was no such place as hell. And that was his torment. Don't stop it. That was his torment. Listen to this one. And I'm condensing him. An alcoholic who was given to drinking and drunkenness and alcoholism, he went to hell And you see, in hell, we become a disembodied spirit. And you see, sin needs a body to satisfy its lusts on it. If you don't have a body, the the sinful desires, and remember with rich man Lazarus, rich man said, I'm tormented in this flame. Just give me a drop of water. Just a third. This man is crying for alcohol. Just give me a drink. Give me a drink. That was his torment. But he had no body to satisfy its lust on. Another case, homosexual. He'd given his body in this time over to homosexuality. He still had the evil desires, but he didn't have a body to satisfy his lust. And he was longing for that. That was his torment. That was the worm that never dies. I mean, I've read some of that. Because our glory on the opposite side, and we're going to have to quit here, Our glory is to Philippians chapter 3, verse 21. It's on your notes there. The greatest reward that the redeemed are going to get is to have a glorified body like the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our reward. The wicked will become disembodied spirits for all eternity, still have the sinful desires, but no body to satisfy its lifestyle. Everybody understand what I'm saying? But the greatest reward... God gives to us. Philippians 3, it's on your notes there, 20 and 21. God is able to change our vile body and fashion it like his glorious body. We're going to have a body like the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So no wonder Paul says, present your bodies a living sacrifice. And that's helped preserve me from sexual immorality and a lot of temptations that we all go through. So no, I don't want that torment. The worm, the spirit that never dies, but it's a disembodied spirit. That will be hell. How many think that's a good, healthy fear? Okay, let's end up with a positive. Wow. Heaven, number two. On your notes, I'm just reading straight off. Dwelling place of the redeemed. Heaven is the place and state and final abode and reward of the righteous of all who accepted God's redemptive plan offered in Jesus Christ. It will be the abode of those elect angels who did not follow Satan and his angels in their rebellion. Heaven's an actual place, a new heavens and new earth. Jesus said, if I go away, I'm going to come again. I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you will be also. I want to be with Jesus, don't you? That will be heaven. It's a place. Three heavens. Paul was caught up to the third heaven, to paradise. On our tabernacle before, we had the atmospheric, uh, the atmospheric heaven above us. If I shall up heaven, it rain not. Then the planetary heavens, the second heaven, holy place. And the heaven of heavens, the third heaven is paradise. Paul was caught up to that. Today you'll be with me in paradise. And Solomon speaks of, behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. Paradise, planetary and atmospheric. A new and holy heavenly Jerusalem, the tabernacle of God. And in this heaven, no tears, sorrows or death, which Adam brought through sin. Eternal life and light, the river of life. Adam lost the river. Tree of eternal life restored. Adam lost the tree of life. Everything that we lost in Adam is restored in Jesus. Did you ever understand one of the reasons why Jesus said, I am the way, not a way. I am the truth, not a truth. I am the life. We lost the way in Adam. We lost the truth and believed the lie. We lost the tree of eternal life. Everything that we lost in Adam is restored in Jesus that's worth a little baby, hallelujah. And all will see his face. Worship and serve him as king priest. It will be heaven to be with God, with Christ, the holy angels, and the redeemed of all the ages. It will be heaven just to be with you, folks. Amen? Having heaven on the way. I'm stuck with you. And you're stuck with me. It will be heaven. No sickness, disease, sin, disease, sorrows, death, terror. The, uh, death, no devil, devil or demons, no time, just eternal life and joy. That will be heaven. And what a glorious contrast as we finish here in Genesis and Revelation. In Moses wrote in Genesis, river of God in the garden, tree of the knowledge of good and evil, tree of eternal life, serpent, Satan enters the garden, entrance of sin through disobedience, sickness, sorrow, disease and death, man barred from the tree of life, cherubim and sword uh, guarded the way, Earthly paradise closed the first bride and bridegroom, but John ends up shaking hands with Moses and say, River of God in a garden city. No tree of good and knowledge, and, uh, no tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What's happened to that tree? It's exhausted its fruitfulness in the tragic history of the human race. But the tree of eternal life. The serpent, Satan, is in the lake of fire. Hallelujah. No more sin, but now obedience. No sickness, sorrow, death or disease. Tree of eternal life, restore the redeemed. No cherubim to guard the way. Heavenly paradise open to the eternal bridegroom and his bride, the church. And we live happily ever after. 
Oh, hallelujah. We made it. Let's all stand. Wow. I hope you feel as overcome as I do, even though I've taught this many times. It's still alive. And so, wow. This is so glorious. How many love Jesus tonight? All right, let's lift our hands to him. Father, we just thank you for these four Sunday evenings we've had together. We just pray, Lord, that uh, so much seed, so much of the word, it'll fall upon the good ground of our heart and bring forth fruit in our life. And not only in our lives, but Lord, help us to help others, those who are outside the kingdom, those who are outside of the garden, those, Lord, who are in the kingdom of darkness. Help us to help them to come to Christ. Help us, Lord. We just, uh, just commit ourselves to you. Be with us throughout this week. Help us to please you in everything we think, say, and do. And we give you all the praise and glory in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and everybody said amen. We hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. For more in-depth teaching on the foundations of Christian doctrine, see the new online video teaching courses by Kevin Connor with over 60 lessons. Visit kevinconnor.org forward slash courses for details.